probably noticed we're going to be doing communion here today, the Lord's Supper. Um, and we're going to do something we haven't done since before COVID. Uh, when we do our communion time, we're going to give you an invitation to come forward to the table to take a cup, take a piece of, of uh, unleavened bread, and to take it back to your seat. And then we're going to take it together and do the ritual together. So that's how that's going to work this morning. And uh, if you are unable to come forward, we'll have somebody bring, uh, I think Steve will bring back some, some elements for you. So. Ah, so let's pray before we begin. You can pray for me this morning. I'm a little bit out of sorts today. And uh, I uh, ask your forgiveness if I've been a little short with you this morning. It's been one of those kinds of days. But um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the God of all creation. You're the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You're the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Lord, for us, some of the things in this book we're opening today are a mystery, but nothing is unknown by you. Lord, open your word today so that we may understand more of you and so that we may live for you more. We ask that you would reveal yourself in our hearts and in our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. So are, are you familiar with the term re-up? To re-up, uh, when you sign up for another term of service or a tour of duty as a soldier, you re-up, you re-enlist. When you renew a contract, you re-up, you uh, sign up again. This morning, we are re-upping our contract with Jesus. We're renewing our commitment to march with Jesus to the end of the battle, to final victory, to the coming of the new heaven and the new earth, going with Jesus all the way to the end of the book. And if you've read the book, you know how it ends. We're picking up our series, Famous Last Words, about the book of Revelation that we left off last spring. So each year for the last couple of years, uh, we first started with a, a time two years ago where we did a focus on the seven churches of Revelation. And then last year, we did uh, a focus on Revelation, went all the way up to Revelation chapter 12. And uh, we'll be picking up in Revelation 13 after Mother's Day. But this is a renewal time this morning, kind of a review of where we've been and uh, some important things that we need to know. If you missed the first part of the Revelation series and would like to watch it, all those videos are online. Um, all of the sermons are online. You can uh, get them on podcast apps. Uh, just look us up, and uh, you might be able to get caught up. Uh, I don't know about you, but I remember the first time that I ever read the Bible all the way through. I was at Bible college. I was about six months old in the Lord, and... I had never read the whole Bible. I had just finished, the week I arrived at Bible college, I finished reading the New Testament for the first time. And so that's how raw I was and, and how unexposed. And, and I remember reading through the book of Revelation for the first time and, and walking away from that and going, what was that all about? <laughs> I haven't a clue what I just read. You know, it was so confusing. Revelation is hard to understand. Our temptation, I think, as human beings is to disregard what we don't understand. We just go, oh, I don't know, and just kind of push it away. But 
if God didn't intend for us to understand what he wrote, at least on some level, I don't think he would have put it in the book. And so I believe that he intends for us to learn Revelation to the best of our ability, and that's what we're about. Revelation, as I said, is a tough book. It, it forces you to think in 3D because there's so many things going on at once on so many different levels at once. And, and that's why we need to do a little bit of prep work today. I remember when I was in the Army Reserves many years ago, and uh, I remember going on a 17-mile forced march, forced march uh, in boot camp. And... Uh, we had to carry heavy packs. We had all these packs. We had all this equipment we had to carry because we were going to camp out at the end of this thing. And, you know, you're carrying a ton of gear. But you had to get the gear on before you could start the journey. Otherwise, you wouldn't be prepared for the journey. And that's kind of what we're doing today. We're, we're gearing up. We're putting on our gear so we have the equipment to do the journey. So what do we know about the book of Revelation? Um, well, for one... We know that it's not revelations. Yeah, that's, that's not it. You know, sometimes we say revelations, but, boy, we're going to have that same problem. It's a new clicker, and it's, and it's super-powered. <laughs> so we're going to see how we do with this this morning. Um, you know, a lot of people say revelations, but it's revelation, and it's actually based on the title of the book, which is, in Greek, the Apocalypse. Now, in spite of what you've seen on TV or seen in the movies, apocalypse does not mean the end of the world. Apocalypse actually means an uncovering. It means to reveal. Now, there are different ways of understanding Revelation, but one of the ways I found very helpful is that Revelation is like a symphony. It, it has, well, all kinds of small bits coming together to form an amazing unified peace. You know, if you listen to, the, to a symphony, if you take away one of the instruments, it doesn't quite sound the same. Sorry, having a little trouble with my voice today. If you take away one of the instruments, it doesn't sound quite the same. But like a good piece of classical music, Revelation has a beginning, it has several movements, and it has a big, strong ending. Uh, think of Tchaikovsky's War of 1812 Overture. You remember how that ends with the cannons firing and the music going? It's, it's just awesome. Or, or even Handel's Messiah has this beautiful, great crescendo ending. That's how it comes together. Or, or if you're you know, a little more like me, you might think of it as a 70s rock album. Uh, Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, Yes, Close to the Edge, Tales from a Topographic Ocean, you know, any of that. If you're from that era, you know what I'm talking about. These rock classics were actually based on symphonic movement. And they have many parts that come together to form a whole. Now, the middle parts of Revelation, they're a little bit like freeform jazz. You know, they are a little bit all over the place. You know, personally, I like my jazz ordered. You know, I'll take Dave Brubeck over Miles Davis any day. And Miles Davis is in no way, way over on there. There's lots of people that are way freeform. Generally, I think our heads, we like order. We like all our parts to fit together. We like our feet to go one in front of the other. And Revelation at times doesn't do that. 
At times, it's a hot mess. And then it's not. <laughs> you know, so you'll be going through a section, and you'll be going, what is this? What's going on here? And then you'll come to a piece where it's like, oh, that's where that was going. And the book ends with this beautiful, big finish, which is, which is a lovely thing. Well, we also know that Revelation is written by John. Revelation was written by the Apostle John while he was in exile on the island of Patmos. It's an island that's off the Aegean coast, uh, off the coast of Turkey. And uh, he was arrested by the Romans because he wouldn't stop preaching about Jesus. I guess if you're going to get arrested, that's a pretty good reason to get arrested. We also know that um, Revelation is a letter. It's a long letter, a huge letter. Um, it was a letter to the closest seven churches of Asia Minor, which is Turkey today. John served as an overseer of these churches, and he didn't stop being pastor when he got arrested. And so John is praying for his churches. He's, he's, he's very concerned about these same churches. And, and there's a great part of Revelation that's a great big pastoral letter from Pastor John to his people so that they would know what's coming next. Roman perse persecution was happening. You know, we're about the time of Domitian, and, and uh, that was a bad time for Christians. He, he persecuted both Christians and Jews. And he's telling them, you got to get ready. And here's how you get ready for it. The most important thing, I think, to remember is that it's Jesus speaking. You know, it's not just John sitting down. Here's some stuff you should know. It's John was on the island of Patmos, and he had an amazing vision. I mean, it was just this huge vision, beautiful thing, confusing at times, but but, and then Jesus says, write that down and send that to the churches. <laughs> well, that was pretty important. Jesus showed John what to remember, what to write down, and what to pass on. And here's how Revelation starts. We hope it's how Revelation starts. There it is. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his sermons what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So Jesus gave the letter to John, who gave it to the seven churches. And each of these seven churches had their own message to hear and to understand. And each church was meant to understand that not only was there little peace for them, but the whole letter was for them, every piece of that. Well, you know, sometimes I think we read Revelation subjectively. You know, we look at it and we go, you know, we kind of read into it whatever it is that we want. And, and you've heard preachers do this all over the place, especially during COVID, you know. It just seemed like preachers took advantage of, of this time where people were secluded to try to scare the pants off them. You know, Revelation is a good vehicle for doing that, you know, because it, we don't understand it all that well. And uh, so, you know, there were lots of preachers who also made a lot of money off Revelation during that time. And uh, we want to set that aside. Revelation is a book that was not written to us. It was written to a specific group of people 
in a specific location at a specific time, but it was preserved for us. It was not written to us, but it was written for us. And, and there are so many important spiritual lessons. And I want to look at some of those this morning. I want to kind of jump back and look at the seven churches briefly because I think they really help us to be prepared. For example, Jesus points out to the church at Ephesus that they have forsaken their first love. People there were doing a lot of very commendable things. They were doing good things. You know, we could be doing good things for Jesus and still miss it. They were doing great work for the kingdom. They had endured persecution because of Jesus. But they didn't have the fire they once had. Other things in their lives that started to take the place of Jesus, the love they had for Jesus and the love that they had for each other was growing cold. They were warned that if they didn't make changes, Jesus actually says, I will come and take away your light. They'll lose their light entirely. Now, that's, that's a scary prospect. That's very harsh. But that's what was facing them if they didn't change. Well, what about us? Are we, what kind of situation are we in? What, what's our heart like? Has our love for Jesus and for each other, has it grown cold? I think sometimes it has. I know that that experience has happened to me, and I need to get before Jesus again and, and renew that. And I need to do that over and over again. Have we let other things take Jesus' place in our lives? Have we lost that, that first love? God's precepts are timeless. The, the original warning was for the Ephesians, but the lesson is for us. The warning still stands. The need for us to repent from our neglect is still fresh. We may not be that church in those circumstances, but we are a family as part of God's church. And our hearts are just as susceptible to cooling as theirs were. Smyrna, the suffering church. You know, one of the things that I, I love about this church and what God says through Jesus, through John, is... I still see you. I haven't forgotten you. God sees them and remembers their suffering, and he promises to reward their suffering if they stay faithful. And that's still a powerful lesson for us. God sees our struggles, and he sees our suffering, and he hasn't forgotten us. And he knows the pain that you're going through right now. But let me say this. Don't let the pain that you're going through, maybe even the tragedy that you're going through, become the excuse for not following Jesus. He says, I see that. I see what you're going through. I see the suffering. I see the struggle. If you remain faithful in spite of the things you're going through, then I will reward your faithfulness with eternal life. That's the promise, isn't it? Pergamum, the compromising church. 
They compromised their faith. They compromised their values. They, they endured suffering. They did some beautiful things. They, they, they endured the this, this suffering even when one of their major leaders was put to death as an example to those who would maybe go against Caesar. But they let the church become corrupt. There were some called the Nicolaitans, and uh, they taught that it was that joining into the pagan feasts, especially the ones that involved the sexual immorality, that, that that was just fine. In fact, they encouraged taking part in that. And the church is being criticized because they let that happen in the church as if it was okay with Jesus. And, and Jesus doesn't say that it's okay. Jesus says if they don't, change their ways and purify themselves that he will come and this is what he I will fight against you with the sword of my mouth that's a really strange kind of phrase but we're going to read about that sword a little later on when we go down the road in in Ephesians that sword's important because it stands for the word of God and every word that proceeds from the mouth of Jesus his word that sword of truth reveals truth and it reveals the truth of the situation, and it reveals where they stand in the spiritual battle. Are we tempted to compromise? To pretend that what God says is not okay is just fine, because the world says it's okay. I think we're tempted in that way. There's a, a new survey from Barna Research I was reading just the other day, that, that shows that Christians in America are far more influenced by an ungodly worldview than they are a biblical worldview. In fact, this is self-admission. These are people saying this about themselves. Those who hold to an uncompromised biblical worldview. You ready for this? What percentage? About 6% of Christians, about 6%. You know, we are compelled by Jesus to love everyone. But we follow Jesus, not the politicians. We follow Jesus, not the new sexual ethic. We follow Jesus, not the wind of sexual politics. We are the church of Christ. And if we say that we are believers, then God calls us to live like believers and to believe like believers, not like pagans. And we're not to put our stamp of approval on every pop culture wind that blows. There's a lesson here for us. And then there's the church at Thyatira. They had a woman in their midst who was a false prophet and they allowed her to teach false doctrine and to lead people astray and also into sexual immorality. And Jesus tells them one thing, don't follow that woman because she's coming to a bad end. And anyone who follows that woman, they're coming to a bad end too. And that's that's most of the message. You know, sometimes you, you will encounter leaders who are very charismatic, who show all kinds of promise, 
and there's a whole lot of them out there right now. And the temptation is to just jump on board that train. But we better take a close look at who we follow. What do they believe? What do they teach? What does the Bible say about what they teach? Well, the church at Sardis, he says to this church, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Faith is meant to be a living faith. It's, it's meant to be alive and active and effective. And he tells them, wake up. You ever need a wake up call? I, I used to travel a lot with the disaster relief service. And I remember one particular occasion I, I had put in for a wake up call because I didn't want to miss my flight <laughs> the next morning. And so I asked for a wake up call when I went to bed. And then you know, that phone rings when it's time to get up, and the phone rings, and I picked it up, and, and somebody practically shouting at the other end is going, wake up, 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 wake up. <laughs> and I tried to intervene and ask a question because I had a question, and, and, and all I got back was, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake <laughs> up. That call was not there to answer my question. That call was to deliver one message and one message alone. Wake up! And that's Jesus' message to Sardis here, and it's also his message to us. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up! <laughs> you know? To be awake and to lie, be alive and to be active in our faith, not just passing through, not drifting with the tide. Well, the church at Philadelphia, if we can get that one to come, there it is. They're a church that is, they're the only ones that doesn't get any correction. They're completely faithful. It's all encouragement. It's all commendation for what they're doing because they were enduring and they were being faithful. Now, we are a very impatient generation. <laughs> we want everything right now. We want what we don't even earn. We want what we didn't build. And we see something that's going on somewhere else. We're often tempted. We look down the road, and that church has got some really cool stuff going on. And we look at what another church offers, and away we go. Because we want it right now. We're not willing to see God build it. And we try to force God's hand often, whether what we ask for is in God's timing or not. We want what we want, and we want it now. And God commends Philadelphia because they're patient and they endure. They've struggled for a long time. In fact, it says they don't have much strength left. But because of their character... And because they endured for Christ, he says to them, See, I have placed before you a door, an open door, that no one can shut. What is that? It's the door to heaven. It's the door to heaven. Hold on, he says to them. Hold on. I haven't forgotten you. And because you have held on, and because you haven't denied my name, no matter what came to you, I will make it so you even skip the next hour of trial. You didn't promise that to anybody else. 
just one place, one church. Because of your faithfulness and endurance, you get to skip the hard parts that are coming. Now, I don't know how that unfolded. I don't know how that worked. But I know that's the promise that Jesus gives to them. Well, the last church that, uh, that's described here is the church at Laodicea. Wow. This is the scariest story of all. This is the saddest part of the letter. In their part of the letter, Jesus speaking through John says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. So how bad does a church have to be before Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out? How bad do they have to be? Pretty bad, right? Well, actually, no. They were pretty much like nothing. They weren't hot or on fire for Jesus. They weren't cold and rejecting Jesus. And they weren't just like, right, like in the three bears, you know. They were just, meh, nothing. We have been raised up to be the body of Christ, to be the hands and the feet, to be a royal priesthood that reflects Jesus. But for Laodicea, it was like looking in the mirror and seeing no reflection, nothing. In spiritual terms, Jesus says to them, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You don't realize it. You don't, you don't understand that this is you. But they haven't rejected Jesus totally yet, and Jesus gives them a chance. He says to them, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. And then there's a promise of what will happen. Now, one of our favorite verses, this is one of mine anyway, is, is, uh, is Revelation 3.20. And this is the context in which this verse occurs it's in amongst these people who have become totally blah about their faith and here's what jesus promises them here i am i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come in and eat with that person and they with me the invitation stands no matter what the condition of the church is no matter how far away from God the person is, Jesus always stands ready to fully come into his church and to fully enter into fellowship with anyone who received him. And there's only one condition. Open the door. I'm knocking. Open the door and let me in. We are so resistant. <laughs> We are so stubborn. Even when we see the solutions on the other side of the door, it's kind of, I think of it like a glass door, you know? You can see what's on the other side. You can see what's coming. And yet you don't want to open the door. You don't want to unlock it and let Jesus in. As individuals, we can be like that. As a church, we can be like that. We can keep Jesus on the other side of the glass. 
on the other side of the door. But we need to open that door. Let Jesus into our heart to be Lord and Savior. Sometimes it seems like, uh, you know, we only let Jesus be our Savior, but not really our Lord. And that's also very true in God's church, isn't it? Well, these seven churches, they're important. They symbolize all the churches that follow in history, including us. So they have symbolic value. They have teaching value. They have lessons to teach us. And the reason I'm focusing on these seven is, is to prepare us for the rest of Revelation. Because how we endure through what God says is coming has to do with our spiritual condition. Revelation has wild battles, it has beasts, it has monsters, it has angels and fallen angels. And what comes next for you and for the church depends on our spiritual readiness. Making it to the end of the book, making it to the end of the story depends on being devoted to Christ and being faithful followers to endure in faith no matter what comes. Now, I know that faith wavers sometimes. I know that faith even sometimes seems to run off and hide. But our return to Jesus, even if we have to do that over and over in our lives, our return to Jesus makes us fit for battle and fit for heaven. What waits for us at the end? Something brand new, a new heaven, a new earth, a restored earth, a place where heaven and earth come together, a place that's more amazing than heaven already is, and a million times better than the very best that earth has to offer. This is the new heaven and the new earth. One thing I hope you'll understand is that Revelation is not a book to be afraid of. It was intended to be a book of hope. There may be persecution. There may be battles. But in the end, Jesus rules, God's kingdom comes, and hope wins. Amen? Now, some of the images may be scary, but Revelation is intended as a word of comfort to God's people. It's a wonderful quote from the movie The Hobbit. Uh, it's, it's so wonderful, we might think it was actually Tolkien, but it's not. <laughs> it was uh, written by the writers of the film. Gandalf in the movie says, I have found it is the small things everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keeps the darkness at bay. Simple acts of kindness and love. Well, that washes with scripture. Our, our victory won't be because of swords and shields. That's not how we fight this battle. Think about the prophet Zechariah when he spoke to Zerubbabel. He said, not by my might, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. That's how the battle of Revelation, that's how all spiritual battles are won, through the Spirit of God. 
not by our own strength, but through his. We're going to celebrate now the winning of the greatest battle of all. Jesus' victory over sin and death on the cross. But before we, we go back into Revelation here in two weeks, right after Mother's Day, um, you need to remember this, and that is that Satan is already a defeated enemy. And that victory came at a terrible price, the shedding of our Lord's blood and his broken body, which we symbolize with the bread and with the wine. Now, as I said before, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning that we haven't done in a very long time, and that is uh, I'm going to give you an invitation in a few moments and invite you when you're ready to just stand and come forward and to take some bread, to take a cup, and uh, to take it back to your seat and hold it until everybody has received it, and we will do the ritual together and we'll eat it together. If you're unable to come forward, all you got to do is just lift your hand and, and uh, Steve will come and bring you a tray and uh, provide you with the elements to share. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we confess that we are not always what, what and who we should be. We fall short and we acknowledge our sin and we ask your forgiveness. Lord, create in me a clean heart and a right spirit. Renew me and restore me and heal me. And unite us together. Lord, prepare us for a new spiritual journey together. In these quiet moments, we confess our sin and we seek your forgiveness. Hear our silent prayer. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. We love you and are here to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We know from 1 Corinthians 11 that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he took wine and he blessed them and he shared them with his disciples. Would you pray with me as we bless the elements? Father God, we see in this bread and in this, in this, we see the broken body of your son, broken for us. And in this wine, we see the blood of our Lord Jesus. We see Jesus' sacrifice in our place for our sin. We see the price of our redemption. Lord, we ask you to bless and sanctify this bread and this wine to the soul's of all who eat and drink of it. We do this in remembrance of Jesus' death on the cross and in celebration of the resurrection on the third day. May we be your witness and always, always remember the sacrifice of Christ. We ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
I now invite you to come forward to receive the elements and again, take them back and hold them until everyone has been served.